Wow. Matt Sellers, you are correct. They are beautiful, aren't they? Golly, look out through here. What a good-looking group of people. Um, my name is Mike Napier, and I get to serve you and uh, other churches, Southern Baptist churches across the state of New Mexico as your state director of evangelism and discipleship. Uh, I have, a, as a convention, as a Southern Baptist convention, we have a man named Dr. Joseph Bunce. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and he's also our executive director, and so he wanted me to tell you hi. So hi from Dr. Bunce, or actually hey, probably from Dr. Bunce. And uh, just want to say, he, he wanted to, for me to say to you guys, thank you for uh, working so hard as a new church start. Um, we've talked about you guys a lot, and it, wow, what God is doing here through you, by the way, through you at bringing people in, encouraging people to come, and inviting people to come to church. That's exciting. And so he wanted me to say thank you, and I say thank you as well. You all are an awesome group of people. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I get to do is, is evangelism. How many of you know what evangelism is? I mean, it's a serious question. How many of you know what evangelism is? Raise your hand. Okay, cool. But I'm not going to call on you to explain. Uh, it's, it's all good. Um, how many of you are scared when you hear the word evangelism, you just kind of want to crawl under your chair and kind of hide in a fetal position? Raise your hand if that's you. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. All right. Now, I will come call on you on this one, all right? Because only about four of you raised your hand. The rest of you, I ain't scared of nothing. Yeah, lie to somebody else. How many of you are scared when it comes to evangelism? Raise your hand. Come on. All right. All right. All right. All right, now we're being a little more honest, a little more truthful. It's not cool in church to say you're scared to do evangelism, I know. But we want to be real, all right? We want to be us. We want to be who we are and who God made us to be. One of the things I get to do in the area of evangelism is called the State Evangelism Conference. And you are now invited. Everybody say, I'm invited. You are now invited to the State Evangelism Conference. It kicks off tomorrow night, Monday night, 6 o'clock at a small little church in the Wildwood called Hoffmantown Church in Albuquerque. Yeah, some of you chuckle. You know where it's at. Big church, right? Um, it, it's, it's down on, I think it's San Antonio. It's right behind Academy. I mean, right behind Academy. Uh, or right in, it's on that Academy Mile thing. You know what I'm talking about? That's where the conference is going to be held. Kicks off 6 o'clock on Monday. 6 o'clock on Monday. And, and, and why do you go to an evangelism conference? What is an evangelism conference? Well, you go to be motivated, to be energized, to be encouraged, and even equipped to do evangelism. But I don't know about you, but I get pumped when I hear people talking about someone accepting Christ. That encourages me. And some of you are going, accepting Christ? What does that mean? Well, we're going to get around to that in a second. But, but, for, but for others of you, you go, yeah, I know what you're saying, Mike. That's why we go to an evangelism conference. So I want to invite you. Whether you understand what evangelism is, whether you understand what accepting Christ is or not, whether this is your first time today ever to step foot in a church, it doesn't matter. Come to the evangelism conference, kicks off 6 o'clock on Monday, runs all day Tuesday, and then half a day on Wednesday. You say, well, I work, come in the evenings. Just come in the evenings. Kicks off at 6 o'clock, you'll be glad you did. It's fun, fun, fun stuff. It's one of the things I get to do, one of the things I get to play with. Um, I call it playing. Because I think it's cool. 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible, I'd like for you to find 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Matt Sellers mentioned that Matt Blagg and I have known each other for about 20 years, and that's close to right. It's right in through there. I've got a, a, a 19-year-old daughter. No, 20-year-old daughter, sorry. She'll be 21 in, in, uh, in June. That makes me old, you know it? I was 10 when we had her. Anyway, uh, Matt and I have known each other about Chrissy's life. And Matt and I's first time to work together was at a place called Falls Creek. Anybody here know what Falls Creek is? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yay. Falls Creek is a really cool place in Oklahoma. Actually, it's really hot. But uh, it's really a fun place in Oklahoma. And that was the first time Matt and I got to uh, actually work together. That was a long, 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 long time ago. Second um, Timothy, if you're not familiar with where that is, it is on page 1,594 in my Bible. Uh, if that helps you at all, it probably doesn't. It probably doesn't. But anyway, we're going to be talking this morning about raising the bar, and, and we're going to be uh, talking about a number of things, but that's really kind of the, one of the areas we're going to be talking about is raising the bar when it comes to evangelism. I mentioned a while ago that some people are just flat petrified when it comes to evangelism. Uh, and, and some people are much more comfortable. Uh, me, personally, I, I got over being afraid or ashamed of the gospel a long time ago, but that's not because of something that Mike Napier mustered himself up to do. You know, you do enough push-ups, enough jumping jacks, you run enough miles, okay, I'm no longer scared of evangelism. That was a Holy Spirit thing. That was a God thing. And, and so, can we watch that little video real quick? Let's watch this little video. It, 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 I think you'll laugh at a couple of parts of it. It's something Scott and Matt put together, so I know you'll laugh at a couple of parts of it. Here we go. Whoa.
Thinking about doing the, the high bar jump thing is how some of us feel about evangelism. We go, no way, not me. That'll be me breaking the pole and falling. But you know, evangelism really doesn't depend upon us. It depends on what the Holy Spirit does through us. And so there's actually no pressure when it comes to us being evangelistic or, or sharing the gospel. Let's look here in 2 Timothy. If you haven't found it now, give up and look on with someone next to you, all right? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. Paul, which Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So that's the writer is Paul to Timothy, my dearly loved child. Now, the reason Paul calls Timothy a child here, my dearly, dearly loved child, is because Paul was his spiritual father. Paul had led Timothy to Christ. And now Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him in some areas that Timothy's struggling in, all right? So he's a spiritual dad. He led him to Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my forefathers did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. In other words, the last time they departed, Timothy was crying, going, oh, Paul, I'm going to miss you so much. You know, you're, you're my spiritual dad, and we've all been there. I, I'm certain you've left someone at some point in your life, or someone moved off away from you, and you shed tears, right? I, I have. I have. I've experienced that. That's what was going on here. That's what Paul is recalling, those tears of joy. Recalling this, your sincere faith that first lived in your grandma, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and that I am convinced is in you also. He's saying, I know your family. I know the faith that lives in them now lives in you. Verse 6. Therefore, I am reminded to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness. In some of your verses right there, instead of fearfulness, some of your Bibles probably say timidity or fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. For I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Really cool passage. Matter of fact, that whole thing, it could take us six months to walk through it and we'd still be going, there's more. Just to discover and think about and look at. So really, really fast. We're going to look at some highlights of what's here. The first thing Paul says, I, I want to bring out as just a highlight, is Paul says to Timothy, share your faith. 
Share the faith that lives in you. One of the things that kind of trips people up when it comes to evangelism is we want to be like Billy Graham. Can anyone here do a good Billy Graham impersonation? I I can't. But we all know, right? You already played it in your head what Billy Graham sounds like. Right? And he's got that voice and that persona and that power as he stands before the people and he says, we have time for you to come down from up top. Yes, there's a hundred million people here, but we will wait for you. And, you know, people come down and they accept Christ. And, and so some people, they get confused and they go, well, I want to be like Billy Graham. Or I want to be like Greg Lowry, who is another just beautiful evangelist. Or I want to be like Chuck Swindoll. I want to be like John MacArthur. I want to be like XYZ, somebody. And that's a mistake that we get into because we can't be like anybody else because God didn't make us like anybody else. He made us us. And so when it comes to sharing your faith, can, can I just pull the rug out of something real quick? And that is you don't have to be anybody but you. God created you and he gave you a story, a really cool story to tell about you and your life and how your journey in life brought you to know Jesus. Now some of you are here going, I don't know Jesus yet, and that's cool. That's fine. I'm glad you're here because you need to hear this. And others of you are going, yeah, my journey to find Jesus was really cool, but I don't know if it's a story worth telling. Well, trust me, it is. And here's why I say that. God brought you down a journey. And your journey is specific to you. And the story that you can tell and the passion that you can tell it with, you tell it like nobody else's. Why? Because it's yours. I, I, I wear boots. Everybody see my boots? I, wear bo- I love these boots. They feel like house shoes. That's part of who I am. I've been wearing boots for a long time. Long time. That's part of who I am. You may not like to wear boots. That's cool. Jesus still loves you. But the same way I'm comfortable wearing boots because I like them, you may not be comfortable wearing boots. You may wear flip-flops. The story I have to tell about Jesus is my story that I walk in in my boots. You have a story to tell that Jesus led you in your flip-flops or your tennis shoes or your loafers. I, I love my hat. I love my hat. I think it's cool. You may, it, looks like, it looks like a dork on you, Mike. I don't care. I, I love my hat, man. It's cool. I search far and wide. You, you may go, man, I could never wear a hat like that. It looks good on you or it looks, makes you look like a dork or whatever, but I could never wear a hat. Well, why? Because this is me. This is who I am. I love my hat. I, I, look, Starbucks. I love Starbucks. Matter of fact, this is, this is cold Starbucks. Mmm, I love it. You can't drink cold Folgers. It's just not there. Cold Starbucks, it's there. And some of you go, yuck, I don't like Starbucks, I don't like coffee, I, give me a McDonald's, Matt Sellers, Dr. Pepper, and I'm on, I'm on fire, you know, that's me, yes, my coffee is Dr. Pepper or whatever. That's you, that's who you are. Don't try to like Starbucks, that's not you. Does that make sense? So be you. I carry an iPhone, I love my iPhone. And some of you go, well, I can never do an iPhone. I got fat thumbs or whatever. Don't worry about it. 
That's not you. Use the phone that you're comfortable with. Hear me. You can't tell my story of how I found Christ because it's not yours. But you have a story of how you found Jesus Christ. You tell your story. I found Christ through a a bossy, pushy police officer. Yeah, that's right, a police officer. I was on the Sepulpa Police Department and, 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 and he was a police officer as well and he started this relationship with me and I'm like, get out of my face, I don't want you. And he's like in my face and he wouldn't leave me alone and his name was Robert Hightower and golly, he was, he was just a jerk. I love him. But at the time he was a jerk. I didn't care for him. And he was all the time bringing up the Bible and Jesus and church and inviting me to go to church with him. My, my wife and I, Cindy, we were, we, uh, he was inviting both of us to come to church with him. I'm like, no, man, get out of here. He would even try to trick us into getting to church. This one day, he has one kid at the time. And his name was Michael. The baby's name was Michael. Michael's about this big. Michael's now about this big. But anyway, Michael was about this big, just a baby. And Robert comes to me, and he goes, yeah, Mike, uh, Hey, can you and Cindy watch Michael for us? We, we just need some mommy-daddy time. Me and Cheryl, we just need some mommy-daddy time and uh, time away from the kids. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, sure, man, no problem, understand, it's all good. Cindy won't mind. And blah, 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 blah. How do we get the baby back to you? And he said, well, I'll tell you what, watch, watch Michael on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, and we'll, just, we'll get him back from you on Sunday. Oh, you're ahead of me. And, and, and I go, okay, ha, we'll bring him to your house on Sunday. And he goes, no, 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 we'll, we'll be at church. And I'm like, well, then you come to my house and pick him up after church. And he's like, no, because Cheryl's, you know, still nursing a little bit. And he comes up with all these excuses and bring him to church and drop him off at church. And I'm like, no, I'm not cool with that. And he's like, yeah, just bring him and you can drop him off. And and I said, well, you meet me out front, and I'll hand him off, and we'll go on. He's like, no, because we've got responsibilities. Yeah, he's a jerk, isn't he? So, so we've got these responsibilities, and, and, and we can't do that. Can you take him to the nursery for us? And I'm like, I don't know where the nursery is. And, and so he goes through all this stuff, and fine, fine, fine. We'll take him to the nursery, and we're out of there. So we take him to the nursery. We take Michael to the nursery in his little car seat thing. And we don't have kids at the time. We're, this is all kind of foreign to at least me, probably not to Cindy because she babysitted and stuff. And I'm like, what do we do now? And she's, okay, anyway. So we get him to the nursery. And he has roadblocks set up for us to get out of the church. He's placed other lying, cheating, jerk Christians in between the nursery door and the front door and the only way to get out is to go to church. And I, I hate him, right? I mean, I'm angry. And so we're in church, we're sitting in church, and I'm just fuming. And that was my first time, or our first time, to go into big church at First Baptist Sepulpa. But he didn't stop there. He takes me through all this stuff. And before I know it, Robert's saying to me, Mike, we need to have a Bible study because you're always asking questions about the Bible. And I'm like, Robert, I'm not asking questions about the Bible. You're always bringing the Bible up. And, and he just lying, right? He's what a jerk. And so we go through all this, and before I know it, we're at my house having a Bible study after we've worked all night long. Anybody here ever worked the night shift? 
Raise your hand if you ever worked the night shift. Yeah, work the night shift. When you get off at 7 a.m., you're tired, right? What do you want to do? Go to bed. No. Robert wants to have a Bible study at my house, 7.30. Cindy's getting ready, blow-drying her hair. Out the door she goes. We're on the couch. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. And he's like, no, really, you do. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but what he's doing is he's sharing the gospel with me. Now I know, in hindsight, but at the time I didn't know it. He's taken me through. Matter of fact, in your bulletin, we put in your bulletin really the scriptures that he took me through. You'll see it right there, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, John 3.16, Acts 3.19, Ephesians 2.8, Romans 10.9 and 10, Romans 10.13. You'll see all that down there. And, and what Robert was doing was he was taking me through this Bible study on a weekly basis and sharing each one of these individually, one per week. I had no idea. I was spiritually ignorant, biblically ignorant. I mean, I knew, the, I knew the truth about Easter. I knew it was more than an Easter bunny. I knew the truth about Christmas. It was more than Santa Claus. I knew that. Matter of fact, as a, as a child, I had had an experience with Jesus. But it wasn't a life-changing experience. I knew enough about Jesus and about God and about heaven and about hell and about church. I knew enough about this stuff probably to keep me from having a life-changing experience. My wife, when we were dating in college, she even asked me. She said, where are you at with God? Because it was very important to her. And, and she was a, a, a very serious Christian. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I gave her all the right answers because I knew the right answers. But I never had a life-changing experience. So one per week, he's leading me through this. And then one day he looks at me and he says, Mike, I want you to pray this prayer with me receive Christ into your life. And I'm like, no, Robert, it's good. I don't want to do that. And he, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, I mean, we really had an argument on my couch. And finally, he looks at me and he says, I'm not leaving until you pray this prayer with me. I'm like, fine. Make you happy, I'll do it. So I pray this prayer that he has written in the back of his Bible. And I look at him and I say, are you happy now? And he looks at me and his face, his whole countenance just drops. And up he gets off my couch, out my door, slams my door, and he's gone. Well, I didn't care that I hurt his feelings. I wanted to go to bed, right? It's about 10 o'clock now. So he's gone, and I go to bed, and I'll tell you how long ago it was, it was a waterbed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some of you guys are remembering right now what that water felt like to curl up. Yeah, yeah. So... I'm laying on that waterbed and I'm tossing and turning, tossing and turning, and I can't go to sleep. I can't go to sleep. I know I've got to get up and go to work that night. I know my wife's going to be home about 5.30, and I'm flipping and flopping. I can't go to sleep. It's 1 o'clock now. And finally, out loud, I don't know why I said it at the time. I know now why I said it, but I didn't know at the time why I said it. But out loud in my bed, I said to God, God, what do you want from me? In my story, this is mine, it's not yours, it's my story. God said to me, Mike, I want you to live in such a way. I want you to live for me in such a way that everyone knows that you're a follower of mine. Wow. Man, when God spoke those words to me, I'm on the floor. I'm, I'm out of my waterbed, I'm on the floor, I'm crying, snot's falling, tears are falling, and, 
and it was a mess, and, and I'm confessing sins and, and, and telling God I'm sorry for all the things that I've done, and I'm walking through them one by one. And, and that day, that moment, I had a life-changing experience. Rocked my world, changed forever. Now, I can tell you, since that time, I haven't been perfect. Matter of fact, I promise you I haven't been perfect. And things haven't always gone what I thought was my way. But God has been with me. And He's never left me. And He never will. God has never left me and never will leave me. And even through the hard times and times when I've turned my back on God again, He's always been with me. Even when I was a jerk, he's loved me, and according to his promises and his word, he'll never stop loving me. And I know that whenever I leave this world, when I breathe my last breath, I know that I'm going to heaven. And no matter where I go, no matter what I do, no matter what happens to me, I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And I know that God will never leave me. Isn't that cool? Now, some of you have a story. And it's a story that needs to be told. A story that we must tell. And some of you go, I don't have a story. Well, that's all good. Because maybe today will be the beginning point of your story. Wouldn't that be awesome? For you to be able to walk out of Sandia Vista Elementary School with a life-changing story to tell others? Here in this text, verse 7. You see verse 7? Paul tells Timothy, the spiritual dad telling, his, telling the, the, young, the young guy, for God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness. Now some of your translations say a spirit of timidity. And some of your Bibles say a spirit of fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear or fearfulness or timidity. If God hasn't given you something, who gave it to you? Well, that's a question, isn't it? If it doesn't come from God, then it comes from who? Say it out loud. Satan, the devil, lots of other descriptions, the father of lies, Beelzebub. This goes on. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And if you look at verse 7 and verse 8 and verse 9 and verse 10 and verse 11, what he's talking about is God has not given us a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity when it comes to sharing the gospel. That spirit of fear has not come from God. So if we look at ourselves and we go, man, every time I go to share the gospel, every time I go to talk to someone or invite someone to church or, or invite someone to, to, to listen to my story, every time I go to do that, I just get scared. Does that come from God? No. It doesn't come from God. Because God didn't give us that spirit. Spirit come from the bad guy. Came from Satan. And... But look what else it says. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. Now this did come from God. God didn't give us the fear factor. He gave us the power. 
The spirit of power lives within us. Watch this. Acts 1.8 says, don't you have to turn there, but just listen to it. Acts 1.8 says, when the, it's, a, it's probably the Napier version more than it is actual, you know, your version you're looking at, but it's the Napier version. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. Acts 1.8 says, when Jesus breathed on them, they received the power, they received the Holy Spirit and the power and the authority to go to Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem and the ends of the world. You see, the same power that Jesus gave his disciples on that day is the same power that Jesus gives us today. As a matter of fact, the same Holy Spirit that lives within us as followers of Christ live within Jesus. It's not a different Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. And so the same power that lives within Christ and lives within the disciples can live within us. The moment you receive Jesus. That's exciting. That's the spirit that God gave us. Not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. But look, the second thing it says is, God did not give us a spirit of, or a spirit of fear, but he gave us one of power. And then it says a spirit of love. Before I accepted Christ, I, I wasn't very loving. I know that about myself. But when God's love consumes us, we become loving. Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples when you have love one for another. That's what Jesus said. And then in the New Testament, it also says, how can you say you love God who you have not seen but hate your brother who you have seen. In other words, how can we say that we love God, oh, I love God, but we hate people? We hate the flesh who we have seen. It, it can't be so, can it? You either love God and love man, or you hate man and hate God. That's what the Bible says. But God has given us a spirit of love. He's given us a spirit of power but look what else it says. The last thing it says, it says is God has given us a spirit of sound judgment, sound mind. Some of your translations say self-discipline. God has given us this in the area of evangelism. The area of sharing our faith. Sound mind, sound judgment, self-discipline. God has given us this. Why? And what does that have to do with evangelism? And what does it have to do with sharing our faith? What does it have to do with sharing our story? God has given that to us, the ability to talk, the ability to think, the ability to tell our story. That's all come from God. You see, some people say, wow, following Christ? That takes way too much faith. Not really. Following Christ is very logical. As a matter of fact, following Christ is very scientific. It takes a sound mind to follow Christ. It takes more faith not to believe that there is a creator than to believe there is one. So God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, of love, and sound judgment. But look what else Paul says. So don't be ashamed. 
Let that marinate inside of us for just a second. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of what? Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's the story. You see, Paul calls it testimony. I called it story. I shared with you my story. Paul is saying, don't be ashamed of the story that lives within you about our Lord. I shared with you my story. We mustn't be ashamed of it. You need to share your story unashamedly, without fear. You say, Mike, I, I've never done that before. I don't know how. I don't know for sure how I could do that. Best way to start is to write it out or type it out. Type out your story and then make it smaller. <laughs> because when we're telling our story, we're sharing our story, you don't want to back up the dump truck, beep, 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 and you dump a whole dump truck full of gospel on somebody because all they're wanting is a little shovel full. So figure out how to make your story a shovel instead of a dump truck or a wagon instead of a dump truck and shorten your story down. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as a prisoner. And look what Paul says. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel. Share in suffering for the gospel. Anybody here, anybody here ever been beaten? Seriously? Beaten for sharing the gospel? Anybody here ever had rocks thrown at them for sharing the gospel? Raise your hand for me if you have. Anybody here ever, ever gone through great hardships and terrible times for sharing the gospel? You see, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, he had gone through all of that. Paul had been stoned several times. He'd been beaten several times, both with a whip and with rods. At separate times. Paul had been shipwrecked on, on journeys to go share the gospel, share his story. So when Paul says here, Timothy, I, I want you not to be ashamed of your story, but I want you to share in suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul knew what he was talking about. I've never suffered like this. I've never suffered, but the Bible says, not just here, but in other places, it's okay if you do. As a matter of fact, Paul says, count it joy to suffer for the gospel. Wow. Joy to be stoned, joy to be beat with rods, joy to be whipped. Yeah. You know what this does to me? This encourages me. This makes me even bolder. This makes me want to go door to door and tell everybody, hey, Jesus loves you and he loves me too. Can I tell you my story? Okay, maybe not quite like that. But basically, because if the Bible, the very Bible says we're supposed to share in suffering for the gospel, relying on God's power who has saved us, watch it, look at it, verse 9. And called us with a holy calling. Not by the works we've done because we can't earn our salvation. We can't ever be good enough. 
but according to God's own purpose and grace. Wow. Wow. You know, some of us have a hang-up with sharing the gospel because we don't feel like we're good enough. Well, let me, let me tell you, I'm not good enough. I would ne- if I waited to be good enough to share the gospel, I still wouldn't be doing it. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy there. It's not the works you do, it's God's grace. It's in your Bible. And it's God's grace that empowers you to share God's love. So, what's your excuse for not sharing your faith? I was uh, meeting with a mentor of mine. And uh, he was encouraging me and talking to me and coaching me and mentoring me. And I've kicked off my doctorate. I'm starting my my doctorate of ministry work. And I was kind of lamenting a little bit about time and how time is cramped and it's hard to do everything with family and job and all this. And very gently, very lovingly, he goes, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I'm, you know, I've got the church, I'm pastoring. He, he, sa- he says to me, I, you know, I've got this church, I'm pastoring full time. And Then my wife, he says, my wife, referring to his wife, he goes, I, I'm her keeper. Physically, she, she can't function on her own. He says, Mike, I find myself doing laundry at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes. And then I'm at work by 8. He says, I know what you mean about time. Well, he slapped me silly. <laughs> then he did it in love, so it didn't hurt so much. In love, in that same spirit of love, can I truly ask you, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ, what's your excuse for not telling your story? Whatever that excuse is, Whatever you just processed, I want you to tell it to God. God, here's why I'm ashamed to share the gospel. I want you to tell him. He already knows, but he wants us to talk to him. So I want you to this morning, here in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and I want you to tell God, God, here's why I'm ashamed to tell my story of how I had my life-changing experience. God, here's my reasons that I'm not telling other people that you love them. I want you to do that with God. And I want you to listen to what He has to say to you. Because He'll speak to you. No one else may hear it, but you'll hear it on the inside. You'll hear it in a soft whisper. Maybe... Before you walk out these doors, maybe on your way home, maybe later this afternoon, maybe in the quietness as you lay your head down on your pillow, you'll hear God say, I appreciate your excuses or something to that effect. Now, here's the second thing. If you've walked in this building this morning and you've realized, I don't have a story. 
I've never had that life-changing experience. If you realize this morning as you're sitting here, I don't know that I would go to heaven if I was to die right this second. I don't know that. I'm excited for you. If that's you, I'm excited for you. You say, wait, Mike, you misunderstood. Uh, I don't have a story. I've never had a life-changing experience. And if I was to die right now, I, I, I don't know that I'd go to heaven and you're excited for me? Yes, that's right. I'm excited for you. Because in the next few minutes, that can all change. And you can leave this building with a story to tell and an excitement that you can never explain and a peace inside of you that can only come from God and a forgiveness of your sins that nobody else can do for you and you can never earn or be good enough to receive it. It's a gift from God. You see Romans 3.23? It says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. That means you have sinned just like I have. Romans 6.23 says there's a gift that God wants to give you and it's eternal life but only found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says it's not by works that you can be saved. It's only through Christ. That way none of us can be proud and boastful. Romans 5.8, it says... That God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, whenever Christ hung on the cross and died, he died for you for this very moment. Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19 says, repent and turn to Christ so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When we repent, turn away from our sins and turn to Christ, a time of refreshing will fall on you like you've never experienced before. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, if you'll just talk to him and tell him I've messed up, I've done things wrong, I need your forgiveness, I know I'll never be good enough to to earn anything, but I ask you to forgive me because you love me and that love I don't deserve. Romans 10.13, the last verse that's on that list, Romans 10.13, it says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody. Anybody here remember a guy named Timothy McVeigh? Raise your hand. Murrah Building Bomber killed lots of people in my home state. Hear me, hear me, please. If Timothy McVeigh would have repented of his sins, confessed them to Christ, and said, I know I did wrong, I was stupid, and I need your forgiveness. I don't deserve it, but I need it and I'm asking for it. God would have saved that man's soul. And he got his punishment for killing all those people. The moment he breathed his last breath, he would have been standing before a holy God who said, come in, my child. Now, he didn't, he didn't to my knowledge, He didn't do that. But if he would have, that's what would have happened. Sodom Hussein, same thing. For all those people that he killed, he would have been forgiven. Now, I'm trusting in this place that we don't have mass murders. 
I'm trusting in this place we don't have mass rapists. I'm trusting that in this place, most of you are like me. You've broken most of the Ten Commandments. I mean, be real. I've broken most all of them. But I've been forgiven. And God remembers my sins no more. Why? Because I've asked Him to forgive me of the wrong things that I've done. And I've turned away from those. And I've said, God, I turn away from those sins and I turn to You and I ask You to save my soul and to give me a home in heaven. Everybody look right here. Would you like to receive God's gift of forgiveness and love and eternal life? You can do it right now. Right now. But the choice is yours. It's all on you. Because God's ready if you are. Would you bow your heads for me, please?